You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale begins our new sermon series, Big Church. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a great week. Morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. And I don't know what comes to your mind or what it is that you feel or what it is that uh, it is when you hear the word church, but my hunch is that when, when you hear that word church, it's a far cry from what it was that the first century church uh, thought when they think of or when they thought of that initial gathering. Because in the first century and from the very beginning, the church began as a movement. It didn't begin as an institution. It, it didn't begin with a liturgy, or, and, and it didn't begin with tradition. There weren't any Bibles, and there weren't any banners. There weren't any bands. There weren't anything, other things that began with the letter B. There weren't any, any buildings. There were no facilities. There were no staff. There were no hierarchy. You know, there were none of the things that we have come to know as the church. There, there were none of the things that, that we have. The church from the very beginning began as, as a movement. And it began around a very simple idea. Ah, that's, that's nice. The church began a, as a movement around a very simple idea. The church was launched around one singular event in history. And we talk about it a lot. It, we talk about the, the resurrection of Jesus. And it was the resurrection of Jesus that galvanized these first century believers around this very simple idea. And the idea was this, that Jesus was, in fact, who He said that He was. That He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was this simple event, and it was the testimony of eyewitnesses to that event that basically launched the local church. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning, it began as a movement. And as we start this series today that we're calling Big Church, uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of different things over the next few weeks. We're going to look at some big opportunities that the church has and some big prayers that the church might pray and, and some big drifts that the church might take from time to time and some big opportunities that the church has and some big audiences that the church has. But today we're going to look at just the background and kind of set the groundwork for, for the rest of this series. And we're going to look at some of the history of the church and kind of the why the church got started and but and we're going to look at this Greek one little Greek word together this morning and and just kind of a history lesson and if you like history you'll you'll kind of love today and and if you grew up Catholic or if you grew up Protestant or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all this will kind of help uh, fill in some fill in some of the gaps of your thinking uh, uh, about the church and my goal for us today is is for us to begin to rethink and, and, and help us to rethink the church and to, re, to help us redefine, maybe even in our hearts and at an emotional level, what the church is all about. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the church launched as a movement. And the church is actually still moving. Because as one very smart person once said, movements move, right? Right? And in the, Greek, in the Greek New Testament, there's this little word that's transla- that translated church. And whenever you run across it, the word church is the translation of a Greek word. Here, here it is. Actually, we're going to put it up on the screen. It's the word ekklesia. Uh, ekklesia, it means an assembly or a gathering or, or a congregation. In fact, let's just say that word together, ekklesia. You all say it with me, ekklesia. See, it's, it's such a fun word to say. Now, say it with me again, ekklesia. See, now, now you know Greek. Uh, 
And this little Greek word that means an assembly or a gathering, that's, that's what it means. And throughout the Greek New Testament, when you see this little word that means a gathering or, or an assembly, and when Jesus launched the church, he launched it, as we're going to see in a few minutes from the, in, in the book of Matthew, he launched it as a gathering around this one simple idea with a simple mission, with a very simple focus. And it was a gathering. It was a congregation. But then something terrible and and history happened. Something very terrible happened. As time went on, there, there was a transition from this idea of a movement to a location. They, they transitioned from a movement to a location. This, from a gathering around an idea to a hierarchy. From a dynamic around a, a simple message and a simple event in history, the resurrection. And things began to transition to something entirely different. And if you know any church history at all, or actually any medieval history at all, then you know that the church went through a terrible, embarrassing time in history. And, and everything that was wrong about the local church and, and that horrible period of time in history, actually it all stemmed from this, this horrible transition of the word church. It all stemmed in, in some way, some shape, some form by this misunderstanding of this term church. Because this little Greek word, ecclesia, that couldn't be any clearer in its, in its definition, couldn't be any clearer in its meaning, an assembly, a gathering, a, 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 a congregation, it, it was transitioned into a different word. And I want to show you that word. It's, it's a German word, and I can't pronounce it in German, but the English derivative, derivative of it is kirch, and it means the Lord's house. And it's a capital L, but it doesn't really mean uh, Christian. It's capital L. It just means holy, um, spiritual, but it doesn't necessarily mean Christian. Just any gathering of, of spiritual people, pagan, whatever. And so it just means the Lord's house. But it doesn't necessarily, again, mean uh, Christian. Just any certain faith. And essentially, over time, in fact, quickly over time, about 300 years after Christ, the idea of a gathering, a movement, a congregation, transition to this idea for where we get the English word church. So throughout your English New Testaments, this little Greek word ekklesia, which means gathering, movement, congregation, is translated church. But, where, but you can see there's no, translation, there's no relationship at all between the idea of a congregation and, and a movement and an assembly and the Lord's house. There's, there's no relationship at all. In fact, this was a throwback to the Old Testament idea of a temple. And because in Israel, there was a temple. And people gathered in, in God's house. And God lived in the temple. And, and this was a horrible, horrible linguistic translation. And, and this horrible, horrible linguistic translation resulted in some terrible, terrible theology. And before long, the church was located in a building. It was no longer a movement. It was located in a building. And whoever controlled the building controlled the church. And whoever controlled the building controlled the Scripture. And whoever controlled the building and controlled the Scripture controlled the people. And in some segments of Europe, whoever controlled the building and controlled the Scripture and controlled the people controlled the government. And over time, what began as a movement of distributing truth throughout the world became a very insider-focused, hierarchical ritual, and in some cases pagan and immoral, destructive, unethical movement that had absolutely no reflection at all of what first happened in the first century when the first church was launched. And what came as a result of this linguistic change of shifting from ecclesia, which is a gathering and a movement and a congregation, to this idea of a location resulted in some things that are absolutely embarrassing. And it's part of the reason of why some people continue to turn their back on the local church today. 
In fact, that same idea that began in 300 A.D. is still reflected in the thinking today about the local church and the church in general. But then something awesome happened. In the 16th century, in the early 1500s, a a guy showed up in England. He was a scholar, and his name was William Tyndall. In fact, we have a picture of of him right here. His name, William Tyndall. Smile, William. He just wouldn't smile. But, but if you know his story, you know why he wouldn't smile. William Tyndall was a British scholar and author, and he was a linguistic scholar specifically. And he decided that it was time for the average person to have access to the Bible. Because in his day and age, in the 16th century, people had to go to church and listen to a priest read from a translation that the average person couldn't even understand. They had no access to the Scriptures. And if you controlled the Bible, you controlled the truth, you controlled the church, and you controlled the people. And William Tyndall decided that was, there was enough of that. There was enough of that. That wasn't good enough anymore. And so he decided that the English people specifically, that they needed access to the Bible. And so he began to translate the truth of God's Word. He began to translate it, and he was the first person to do this. And he began to translate it from the original Hebrew and Greek into English. And you can imagine that the church leaders who controlled the people, who controlled the truth, who controlled the Scriptures, who controlled the government who had all the power, you can imagine that they were not happy about this. All of a sudden, now their power was in question. Their power was in jeopardy. And so he, had to, he became an outlaw very quickly, and he had to leave England, and he fled to Germany, and where he continued to do his translation work. And thanks to Gutenberg, who lived 100 years before him, he was able to print his, uh, his copies of the New Testament. And so he smuggled them into England, where now the average person had a copy of, of the New Testament, and in some cases, an enti- a copy of the entire Bible. And so uh, people had a copy of, of the Bible that they could read in their own language, that the average person now, for, may, for sometimes, for the very first time, could read the Scriptures. And this was, this was huge. You know, imagine being able to read the Bible for the very first time in a language that you could understand. This was huge for these people. And so... He was eventually uh, betrayed by a friend, and he was brought back to England. And he was tried for being a heretic, and they hanged him, and they burned his body, and they discarded his, his body, and, and they discarded him as a heretic and an enemy of the church. But it was too late, because now the word was out. And English-speaking people had a copy of the Scriptures. And, and the church, the institutional church, the church that thought in terms of a location, the church that thought in control of people began to lose its power, because average people could hold a copy of the Scriptures for themselves and read it and understand it for themselves. During his trial, he made this statement. It's one of his more famous statements. Uh, He said this. He said, If God spares my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to know more of the Scriptures than thou doest. And he said this to religious leaders of his day. He accused them of manipulating the Scriptures and manipulating the people, manipulating the church in order to, to control the people and to control political policy. And he said, if it's left up to me, if it's left up to me, I will do my part to make sure that everybody holds in their hands a copy of the Bible, a copy of the Scriptures that they are able to read for themselves and to understand for themselves. And one of the things that drove the religious leaders of his day absolutely crazy is that as William Tyndall was translating the Scriptures, when he got to this little Greek word, ekklesia, that means a gathering, an assembly, a congregation. When he got to this little word, he didn't translate it church. He didn't. He, he didn't translate it the German version of the word that meant Lord's house. He translated it 
uh, congregation. That's what he put in there. He, he, he translated congregation because that's what it meant. It was his way of restoring it back to the New Testament. It was his attempt to return it to the New Testament and return it to a gathering of God's people back to what it was meant to be, what it was started off in the first century as a growing multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, mission-centered movement of people with a, around a, a very simple message for everyone in the whole world around a single event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Tyndall was exactly right. The church was actually supposed to be a, a gathering, a growing group of people. This is exactly... <clears throat> This is exactly what Jesus said it would be. In the book of Matthew, there's an incident where Jesus gathers his disciples together and he asks them a question that you really shouldn't ask your friends if you don't want honest information back. Anybody ever ask your friends a question and you, as soon as you ask the question, you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't ask that question? Um, sometimes you ask somebody a question and, and they say, don't ask me if you really don't want to know, right? Any of you, all those kind of people? Yeah, some of you. Some of you didn't raise your hand, but I know some of you are. Well, Jesus asked a question to his disciples one time, and he says, hey, what's the word on the street about me? What, what do people say about me? Who do people say that I am? And his disciples begin to answer the question. And, and some of them say, well, some of, you, some of people in the, in the street, they say, you're the reincarnated John the Baptist. And some of them say, well, some, of, some people think that you're, the, you're an Old Testament prophet. And Peter, Peter specifically said, well, I, I think you're the Messiah. I think you're the son of the living God. And in Matthew chapter 16, this is where this is at. Jesus said this. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for, for this was not revealed to you, this statement that you've made, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, and here's our word, that I will build my ecclesia. I will build my, not church building, not gathering place. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my gathering, my congregation, my assembly. I will build my movement. I will build my church. And the gates of death will not overcome it. Which meant no matter how many people die, and no matter who dies, this would continue forever and ever and ever because the church was birthed as a movement of people around a simple message and around a simple idea. It was not about a building, and it was not about any of the things that it would quickly become in the few hundred years that followed. It would become and continue to be a movement. And not long after this incident, this conversation takes place, Jesus would be crucified, and he would rise from the dead, and he would spend about 40 days with his followers. And then after about 40 days, he would gather them on a hillside, and he would give out his final instructions. And in Matthew, we call that the Great Commission, but in the book of Acts, there's a version of that where Jesus gives them his final instructions and he predicts, um, he predicts the beginning of the church. He's already said that, this, this, uh, that he's going to launch this movement based on, on this idea that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and, and he's going to launch it, this multiplying gathering of people, and there's a version of that in the book of Acts, and I, I want you to flip over there. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to pick this up, and, and we're going to spend the rest of our time in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. But, and so if you flip over there, this is what he tells his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. He says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they weren't thinking in terms of a growing, gathering, multicultural, multi-ethnic kingdom that we would call the church. They were thinking Jesus is going, is going to establish a kingdom, a physical earthly kingdom. 
And so he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the days that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they're thinking power, right? Power, we don't know what kind of power, but power is a good thing, right? We're going to get some sort of special power. So what are we supposed to do with this power? And so he says, and you will be, as a result of this power, you will be my witnesses. Which is just a little Greek word there that basically means the same thing that when we think about witnesses, that you're going to testify to something, you're going to give an accurate account to something that you saw. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, and in Judea, which was the broader area, and in Samaria, which was an area that they didn't really like to go to, and to the ends of the earth. Now again, we don't know what they thought, but if we can just try to imagine You're standing with a man who Rome has crucified. The religious leaders they hate. And there are about 100 to 120 of you. And he says, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take the message of me. You're going to take my teaching. You're going to take the fact that you are eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And you're going to take this message all over Jerusalem. And they're looking at each other and they go, oh, okay, Jerusalem. We can do Jerusalem. And Judea. And they say, okay, we we can do Judea. Judea, not a big deal. And they say, and and Samaria. And so, oh, Samaria. Well, if if we have to. We we don't really like to go there. Well, but if if we have to. And, And the rest of the world. And no doubt they looked at each other and they said, the rest of the world, time out, Jesus. Time out. Do you, Jesus, do you really know how big the rest of the world is? And to which Jesus said, time out, guys. Do you really know how big the rest of the world is? Because you don't have any idea how big the rest of the world is. All you know is how big the Roman world is. But this message, this movement that we're starting, it's a movement for the entire world. This message is so big, this dynamic is so big that it has to touch the entire world. It's got to reach places that you haven't even discovered yet. And my friends, that's exactly what happened happened this is one of the most significant prophecies in the entire bible i don't know if you realize that this is a prophecy but this is one of the most significant prophecies in the entire bible because we are in some way a fulfillment of that and then jesus departed and this little group of 100 to 120 people they went back into the city of jerusalem and they began to pray together and they met together and they prayed together And then about two weeks later, something amazing happens. Something incredible happens. Two weeks later is the Jewish festival and celebration of Pentecost. And today just happens to be the, the, the day in our calendar where we would celebrate the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was the celebration of of a festival where Jewish people and and converts to Judaism would gather in the city of Jerusalem, uh, much like the celebration of Passover. And they would celebrate this Jewish festival, and we find out later in the book of Acts that there are Jewish people from over a dozen different regions of the world. So basically people from all over the known world at that time are gathered together in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is full of people from all the different parts of the world. They've come together to celebrate this Jewish holiday. And the scriptures tell us that while they were meeting, these 120 people, that while they're there meeting, they are praying together. And suddenly on the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit shows up in their midst in a powerful, powerful way, just as Jesus had predicted. 
the manifestation or the, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit manifests itself in such a way that these individual followers of Jesus are suddenly able to speak the language of all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem on that particular day for that particular festival. They go out into the city and they begin to speak to all of these people from all over the world in their own language. And all these people from all over the world, they, they've come to celebrate this, this festival. And they look at the Galileans and they say, how are you able to speak my language? You're a Galilean. How are you able to speak the same language that I can? What, what's going on here? How are you able to speak this language? And then they notice another Galilean that's speaking the same language. And then they notice another Galilean that's speaking their language. Think Glendale Days. Now, I know Glendale Days is not an international festival, but, but there's a lot of people that gather here, right? There's, there's all of these people that gather in our town. And, and a lot of people come from all over the state. In Kentucky, I know we speak English for the most part, but there's a lot of different dialects, right? Right? We, we, there, there's Kentucky and then there's Redneck Kentucky, right? And we, we got a lot of different dialects in Kentucky. And, and, but yet we understand each other. And, and so think, think that's kind of what's going on. And all of a sudden, all these people that you shouldn't be able to understand, they're all able to understand each other. And there's this, all of a sudden there's this stir in the air. There's this, there's this energy, there's this tension, this building in the air. And they're, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And suddenly they figure out what's being said. And they discover that there's a message that's being delivered. And the message is this, that there's this Jesus that lived and died and he rose from the grave. And he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he died for the sins of the people. And then there, there's this crazy energy, there, there's this, this incredible tension, and, and it's this stir and tension and energy, and all it's, it's big, and it's this huge dynamic, and, and it's such a, all this in just one little, one little city square. And the significance of it was that it was not a language. It was not a people. It was a multinational, multi-ethnic, it was multicultural, and it was just as Jesus had predicted and things kind of ramp up. Things kind of get, get going. And people begin to gather and they talk and they wonder. And some people begin to think that these Galileans are drunk. I mean, it, it's so much excitement. They think it, these people are drunk. And finally somebody says, no, 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 it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early for these people to be drunk. If you don't believe me, that's in your Bible. Read your Bible. That's what it says. It's, it's too early for them to be drunk. And, and so Peter decides it's time for the very first sermon in the church because this is opening day in the church. It's opening day. It's day one of the church. And so Peter decides, I'm going to preach a sermon. And so he, he finds some steps or, or gets up on a place where people can see him. And he preaches the very first sermon on the very first day, day one, opening day of the church. And he draws back to an Old Testament context that many of these Jews could understand to say that this thing that's happening amongst you, you this was predicted in the Old Testament. And he quotes some Old Testament scriptures to basically say you shouldn't be surprised about this. That God had predicted that one day the message that had been given to the Jews, that it would be expanded and this would be a message for the entire world. And then he launches into another, another part of the sermon. And here's how it went. We're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. This is where we're going to start. He says, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now Peter's basically recalling some very recent history. 
This is only a couple of months after the crucifixion. So when he says Jesus of Nazareth, many people in that audience said, oh yeah, that, I was there for that message he did. Or, or oh yeah, I, I, I remember that miracle he did. Or oh yeah, he healed a friend of mine. I know who you're talking about. This is very recent history. This is not ancient history. They, they know who Jesus of Nazareth is. And then he says, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But... But, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So basically, he just preaches the gospel of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to that fact. God has raised him to life, and we are witnesses to that fact. It's just exactly what Jesus had said, right? We're, we're not simply given te a testimony of what Jesus taught. We're, we're not talking about all the things that Jesus taught. We're simply giving testimony to what we saw, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. We're going we're gonna to tell you about the things that we saw. And if you're new to Christianity or you're trying to figure this out, this is such an important part to understanding Christianity. These first century believers were not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Christianity wasn't about embracing a teaching, and that might catch some of you off guard. Christianity was not about embracing a teaching from the very beginning Christianity was about embracing an event in history. They said we are witnesses of the fact that he was crucified. And a lot of you all saw that. A lot of people saw that Jesus was crucified. And we are witnesses of that fact. And we are witnesses of the fact that he came back to life. Not years ago. But two months ago. We are witnesses of these things. Then he says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, what's going on right now is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. And now, now it's getting a little personal. God has made this Jesus. And he's pointing the finger at the Jews in Jerusalem. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Some of you were there. Some of you accused him. Some of you walked away and didn't defend him. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And there's all this energy and there's all these people in the crowd. And there's all this tension. And a hush fell over the crowd. And finally, somebody broke the silence and they said, What should we do when the people heard this? When they heard this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, they were cut to the heart, they were convicted. And they cried out to the apostles and to Peter, and they said, what should we do? And Peter replied, attend church regularly. Right? That's the next verse, right? Right? That's what it says, Acts 2.38. Peter replied, attend church regularly, right? Now, if you're not at least smiling a little bit then you should read your bibles more because i made that part up and the reason i want to just sort of make a comedic pause here for just a second as silly as that is as because as i'm telling you this story and i'm trying to build some tension and build some energy and you're you're kind of feeling that energy and and the tension and the turmoil and you know and this is opening day for the local church is because when you think church and when many of your friends and your family members and, and relatives think church you know what they think they think yeah church I need to get back to church I need to get my family in church and I'm just telling you on opening day those words wouldn't even make sense 
because the church was a gathering of people. It was a multiplying gathering around a simple message, a single event, and there was a momentum and there was a dynamic and that message was to spread throughout the entire world. I got to get my family back in church would not have even made sense because we think of church in terms of location and in terms of building. But the church was a movement. Here's what Peter actually said. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he said the, the promise, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and your children. And this is the, the really cool part. So if you, if you haven't been paying attention, you kind of tuned out, this is where you need to tune back in. He said the, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Do you know who the all who are far off is? It's me. And it's you. And it's our kids. And our grandkids. And it was our parents. And our grandparents. This was Peter's way of saying that this isn't just a Jerusalem thing. That this isn't just a this generation thing. That this isn't just an us thing. This thing that has begun in our midst. This message. This momentum. This idea. This, this supernatural power that we're experiencing today on opening day. This whole thing is, is for us. It's for our children. It's for all who are far off. Far off geographically and far off chronologically. All who are far off. This is something that's going to reach far beyond our lifetime because remember Jesus said and the gates of death will not stop it. This generation may die, but the momentum will continue to be there. This generation may die, but the, but the church will continue to thrive. This generation may die, but this is a multi-generation message. This is an event that's going to touch people who are far off, people who haven't been born yet. This is a, this is a genera- uh, message that is going to reach people in places that haven't even been discovered yet. For all who are far off. And then you know what happened? They had their first altar call. They had their first, first altar call. Did any of you all grow up in a church that had altar calls? Well, I, I grew up in one of those. They, they, they had an altar call where they would come down and they'd sing a hymn. You usually had to sing, sing all 18 verses of Just As I Am. Um, we're, we're not going to do that. We don't have altar calls anymore. We, we like to call them invitation times. In fact, that's even a little old-fashioned now, so now we just call them response times. And we're going to have one here in a little bit. We're not going to sing all 18 verses of Just As I Am. I, I don't know what we're singing today, Ray, but... But it won't be all 18 verses, I promise you that. But, but they, didn't, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to sing a hymn. Because there was so much energy and there was so much passion. There was so much conviction. There have been so many miracles and people have been speaking these languages. And so here's how the crowd responded. Here's what happened. It said those who had accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people in Jerusalem who had heard of or witnessed the life and the acts of Jesus were baptized that day. 3,000 people. Do you know how long it would take to baptize 3,000 people? Do you know how long? For days and days, the apostles must have been in the Jordan River and probably every body of water they could find baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. Can you imagine the stir that, that that would have caused? Because in ancient times, cities weren't big. So this would have, this would have been big news. People would have been, been paying attention uh, to this. This would have been on every tabloid in every grocery store. 3,000 people convert to Christianity on day one. This would have been, been all over the news. And you see, from the very beginning, the church has been big. 
From the very beginning, big things have happened. There's, this is a big momentum. It's a big message. It's a big event. And I know some of you don't like big churches, and, and if you don't like big churches, I can understand that. But you would not have enjoyed opening day. And you may not enjoy heaven either. But that's probably a different subject for a different day. I don't know. Maybe we'll be divided up into small groups in heaven. I don't know. But the point is this. On opening day for the local church, it was big. And it was dynamic. And it was powerful. And thousands of people embraced the message. Thousands of people said that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was crucified by Rome. He rose from the dead. We repent of our sins. And we want to be baptized and included in this new gathering, this new congregation that will eventually become known as the local church. Just like Jesus said, just like he predicted. And 2,000 years later, here we are. Do you know what connects Protestants and Catholics and people from every culture around the world in the name of Jesus? Do you know what the common denominator is? And it's not the way that we worship. And it's not the way we think in terms of of liturgy. It's not our customs and traditions. The only thing that we have in common, if you take every single believer in every single culture all the way from, from the beginning of time all the way down to now, do you know what we have in common? And it's not the way that we do communion. It's that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He rose from the dead and that His death paid the sins of the entire world. Just as Jesus had predicted. It's not about a location. There was no location. And don't miss this. The church wasn't for church people because there weren't, there weren't any. And it wasn't about a tradition. And it wasn't about a style or a way of doing anything because there was none of that. But there was an energy and there was a dynamic and there was a momentum and there was a movement and the world would never, ever be the same. And here's what's so cool as we wrap things up. Here's what's so cool. Since opening day, since day one, there's always been a remnant. There's always been a group, a group of people that understands that this is a movement that must move. There's always been a, a, a group that understands that this is a dynamic that must spread, that this is a message that must touch down in every single region of the world, in every single culture of the world, in every single language of the world. And since day one, there's been missionaries and Bible translators and there have been evangelists and there have been Bible smugglers and and there have been people who have served the poor and taken care of the poor in Jesus' name. And for every generation, there have always been a remnant that have said, it's not a hierarchy and I will not be controlled and the scripture is for all people. And there have been people like William Tyndall who have said, I'm willing to give my life in order to put the scripture, the story of Jesus and the story of the church into the hands of the common people so that they can read it and say, wow, Look what God has done. I want to be a part of that. There have always been a group of people that says when we gather in Jesus' name, we are part of this thing that we call the church that has this momentum that's left over and this momentum that was initially fueled on opening day in the city of Jerusalem. There have always been a people who have gotten that. And you know what I love about our church? It's that you get that. You get that. You see, what if if you're new here, this is why when someone is baptized, you cheer. Because you get that. This is why when you meet in groups, you understand that when you meet in groups, you are the church. When you gather in a circle in a home, you're gathering as the church. When you meet in a Sunday school group, you're gathering as the church. When you gather to serve the poor, you're gathering together as the church. And every time you serve in kids' church or the nursery, you're gathering as the church. Every time you serve with middle school kids or high school kids or you drive for the amazing race, you are, you are gathering as the church. There's always been and there always will be a remnant of people who understand that it's not a location, 
that it's not a style, it's not an approach, it's not a gathering, that it is about a gathering around this one simple idea that, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose on the third day, and that this is a message for the entire world. The entire world. So I don't know what it is that comes to your mind. Or what it, is that when you, what it is that you feel when you hear the word church. But I hope that as a result of today that it might be a little bit different. And I hope that as a result of today that, that you never, that you never ever allow yourself to slide back into thinking that it's a place. That it's a building, that it's four walls, that it's a location, that it's a way of, that it's a style but that for the rest of your life and for the rest of our lives, that we will understand that the church is a movement, that the church is a movement with extraordinary momentum. And I hope for the rest of our lives together as a group of local gathering that we will be on task and on mission with what happened on the very first day, on opening day, when the church started and the church started big. And so today we're going to have not an altar call, but an invitation uh, response time. And maybe you need to respond just like one of the 3,000 did. And you need to, um, to, to be baptized into Christ to receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, we can do that. The baptistry's ready. Now, there aren't 3,000 of you here, so it won't take nearly as long, okay? But... but However many are here that need to do that, we can do that. Um, maybe today you just want to be a part of this part of the movement. We're not about a location. We are a location in the movement, but we're not about a location. We absolutely believe that the best way that we can be a part of the movement is to serve the people in our community, to love the people in our community. And if you want to be a part of that, then we'd love to have you serve and love the people alongside with us and so maybe you do that with us and you place your membership here alongside with us we'd love to have you be a part of that but either way we're going to stand and we're going to sing and if you need to make a decision this morning we'd love to to have you come would you stand with me